You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. We all have transformative breakthrough experiences, especially individuals that are in personal development, personal growth, and all that fun stuff. You go to an event, you go to a seminar, you attend a Tony Robbins conference, you go to an A-Fest, you might come to a Mind Valley University, you might come to a Super Coach experience. All of these amazing, grand experiences that you have of life, and then a week later or two weeks later, you kind of like go back to your normal life. The big experiences are great. You have great memories of it. You want to go back at it again as soon as possible. And at the same point of time, it feels like, ah, that just went away two weeks later. Or there was a small change, but not enough integration to the world because there's such a big difference between the world that we go in and the world that we live in. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Mm, So much there. So... You know, simplified integration, a lot of times it's like, what does that even mean to integrate something, right? And I look at it like a sandcastle. You build a sandcastle, you are integrating it into a shape, and then you go for this big transformation and it's like you kicked the sandcastle over. The thoughts, the ideas change, your perspective changes. The problem is when you have a big realization, but not a plan of how do I either inform the environment I came from that I'm different and how, When you get back to it, it's almost like you're in a television show, you know, like say it's Seinfeld and you left like Kramer and you come back like Jerry. They don't know this character. They don't recognize it. And a lot of times don't trust it and it can even scare them. And so if you don't have a way to inform people of what's different and how it's different and what that means, you end up usually going back to the old operating system because it's easier and life gets stressful and it just slides you back into position. That's what the we call them constructs. You, The house is a construct. Your job is a construct. They're used to you operating a certain way. And so they're going to treat you like the old way. And when you try to fight back, like, no, that's not me anymore. I'm sure anyone that's been to a lot of transformational events has had a family member be, we'll see how long this lasts right? Mm -hmm. Before you end up the old you, because that's what you always do. They're already kind of taking jabs. And so having a plan, having support is what integration requires because willpower fades. And so it's really getting radically honest. How do I take the big realization and implement it into my life? How do I have reminders? Who am I now as a result? Who's going to need to know about it? So integration is the action. Mm-hmm. Big realization without action is just a dream. Beautifully put. So let's back up one step. So somebody decides to go on an event, and this happens again. Somebody decides to hire a coach. Mm-hmm. Somebody decides to take a coaching certification, say with Evercoach or something like that, right? So they have done this, and now they're doing the work. They're having the big transformation of their life. Where is it? that this integration process starts. In my mind, in my imagination right now is, shouldn't we be even talking about all of that that you just said, even before we go to the event? Yes. So integration's always happening. Just mm-hmm. like healing is always happening. But how optimal and intentional are you going to be with it? 
And so if I know, for example, that I want to get six-pack abs by summer, it doesn't only start when I get a coach or when I get a personal trainer. First, I want to have a vision so that when I go to them and I can express what outcome I want so we can co-create it, then we integrate the plan. So for me, integration starts by intention first. Like, what do I want to know, do, be, or understand? So that as I'm going into an experience, I'm already integrating my future self or my ideal self for this what I want or who I want to be from now. So integration is always happening. It's when you become intentional with integration that you start to see the results of it. And so if I know that I am going to hire a coach or I am going to get a certification, what is my why for that before I even go into it? If I only consume information without any really clear direction, then it's almost like I've got all these files, I don't know where to put them. A stack of books that just becomes like that shelf help you put off to the side. Because it's not that you need to know exactly what to do, but even in the coaching space, do you want to be a health coach, a motivational coach, an inspirational coach? Like there's so much possibility to even, like what is the sport you want to play? Like let's figure out what ball we're going to buy or what equipment we might need before just either buying all of it or signing up for all of it. So for me, integration is something that long before is the preparation. That's integrating. You're integrating who I am, who I want to be. What is that possibility so that I can influence my outcome and be open if it's different. Mm -hmm. And how would one think where they are in the journey if they are at this place where they already need to start integrating? Or is there a way to know that? Well, you know, part of it does require really developing self-awareness, right? And so for me, even starting with like daily journaling, you have to get to some level of self-awareness and self-honesty. So for some people, they might do that through meditation. Some people might do that through coaching or through therapy. But until you have a clear idea of where you are, it's like a GPS in your car. If you don't have the pin where we are, even if we know where we want to go, we're not going to get there effectively. We're going to kind of trip through it and it's going to take a lot longer and potentially not arrive at that point. So I would say if you're feeling lost, that's probably a pretty good indication that you don't know where you are. Usually people have a vision of where they want to go. They either don't want to see where they are because that's confronting. If you see, wow, I want to be this type of parent and this type of business owner and this type of coach. And if I get really honest, that confrontation of what I'm not and how far I might be, I feel like can be an avoidance strategy too. And so I think the first kind of self-reflective question is, where am I in reference to where I want to be? If I look at that ideal version of myself or the times in my life that I felt embodied in who I am and felt very confident, am I near that or am I a lot further than I even want to see? And so even by going through a journaling process of let's get really honest with where I am. What do I want for my life, my relationships, my friendships of different kinds, my career, my finances? Like, I think one of my most confronting was getting that level of transparency with my finances. I want to create all this impact, but I was avoiding looking at my bank statements. Why? Because the truth was I was getting this like instant gratification off of like a $5 coffee that was actually only a representation of all the little parts of my life that lacked intentionality that I didn't want to see because I believed myself to be an intentional person and that was not cohesive to my idea of myself. So that's probably where I would start is like 
whatever you got to do to get self-aware of where you are. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the integration work? I grew up LDS in Utah, so Mormon, for those that aren't familiar with LDS, very conservative. My father was a bishop and my parents are wonderful. Never had any problems with my parents. The environment, what I saw was a lot of lip service not followed up by action. So people didn't do what they said. So they'd talk about acceptance and love. And it wasn't my experience. And so I felt like that actually taught me like a disintegrated way of being. Be nice, but not honest. Don't lie, but don't tell that truth. And so it made it really confusing for me to know who I am and what I am. So integration for me first came from traumas. I don't think I ever knew that I was learning how to integrate things that happened. I think that what I found out was enough things had to happen for me to be inspired enough to look for another way. And so, you know, as a child, adverse childhood experiences, trauma turned into at-risk youth, ended up in a coma from a drug overdose at 17 from a contaminated batch, high school dropout, all of the textbook of an at-risk youth because then I became a full-time motivational speaker taught about for the D.A.R.E. program and Partnership for Drug-Free America and all over the world speaking about these things, but I was still trying to make up for everything I wasn't. So I had not integrated things that had happened and who I wanted to be in a way that was clear and cohesive. And so integration, how I got into it was recognizing, wow, I am going to have to look at some of those things that happened when I was little that are still causing me to operate from shame, that are still creating an overcompensation. So I didn't know it was integration. I just knew that there was rejected parts and hurt parts that led me into working with psychedelics, with yoga, with different mindfulness practices that from there I said, oh, because I'm not integrated the parts that I'm rejecting because I don't think that that's a good behavior, the parts society rejected. And I needed to call those parts in instead of trying to compartmentalize or to continue to compartmentalize because I don't want to say the wrong thing or because I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. All of that was disintegrated parts. And so though I was healed I was healed in a dysfunctional way. When you see someone with a severe scoliosis or deformity, that is a healed state. So I was in fact healed, but not optimally and not for longevity. And so it was when my health crashed at 26, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, 40 degree scoliosis, 20 something broken bones, three traumatic brain injuries, I couldn't take another step in my life. And it was literally, I was so fractured and healed into like a deformed emotionally, spiritually space, that that's where integration work started. And when I first got into it, it's like I wanted to exercise trauma and get rid of it when it was actually needed to integrate it and self-love and acceptance and tolerance, not keep trying to compartmentalize further. So integration was like, how do I open up within myself to allow more spaciousness within myself. And that's when I started to learn what integration is and what that actually requires for me personally, because it is unique for each person. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about your integration process, per se, like Mm -hmm. how you you integrate it. Sure. So probably the easiest way would to be to share a personal experience to bring it into the context. And so, for example... I went into my first psychedelic experience terrified because I had in my past been 
substance abuse education and anti and all of those words and experiences, plus childhood conditioning in a conservative state. And when I went into that experience, I didn't know until the moment I had clarity that I had been walking around with this heavy vest of I am an addict and I always will be. So integration looked like the moment that I recognized, wait, no, I've grown up and I have new tools. And the person back then doesn't cope with things that way anymore. And so I got to remove that label. And so integrating that, I had daily mantras that I recorded on my phone of who I am, not who I'm not, and not who I had been in the past. And so I would write out who I am and listen to it in the morning and night to remember that experience in my body. So that the first thing in the morning and then before I'd go to bed, And then it was, I want to have a conversation with my parents about this realization, but they have fear around how I got to this place. So I would converse with friends and advise on how can I have this conversation because I want a transparent and authentic relationship. I don't want to hide something that just changed my life. So the integration is the what happens when. What happens when I go back to life and I'm different and my parents ask, wow, you seem lighter If I lie Mm -hmm. or say, oh, you know, things are just better. I don't want to live that way anymore. So integration is looking the foresight forward for me to say, okay, so what am I going to need to know, do, be, or understand when I already know when this comes up that I've changed? How am I going to inform the environment? So I'm always looking at what does this mean? Or what happens when someone asks? What happens when someone says, you know, drugs are bad and you're an addict and now you've done this thing wrong, like I'm going to fall off the wagon or whatever. And so I had to sit, I didn't have to, I'd sit and write letters to myself. I'd coach myself. I would write those conversations out because with people I've known a long time, I had a pretty good idea of what they would say. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say, here's my line, here's mom's line. Here's my line. And by going through that, I removed a lot of the fear and that allowed me to have the honest conversations and learn how to regulate my body in even having those conversations by looking a little bit ahead so that I wasn't reactive. So for me, that's really what integration is, is the what happens when. I have this new perspective. So what happens when the old ways want to come back in? Or, you know, back then I was married, I was in a previous marriage than now. What happens when we start to escalate our voices? What will I do to be who I am and who I want to be? What will that require? So for me, that's how I integrated, wow, I have a new level of understanding of who I am. So what is that going to require in the situations moving forward for it to be different? It's so rare that I've seen somebody actually go and figure that piece out. What I've heard more often, more commonly, is I'm changing or I have changed the person and I don't have support. Like people around me don't support that change. Or I've changed the person. And this is not even psychedelic experiences, this is just experiences mm-hmm. of life. In psychedelic experiences, it can be even more profound sometimes. And what tends to happen is there is that fight almost of two identities, I would say. The identity that everybody sees or perceives you to be and the identity that is unraveling for you. You're not fully there yet, so you don't have the confidence to say, this is who I am, but you kind of want to be that person because you know there is a future there. So if somebody is in that position, 
and say somebody is fighting the good fight with say especially family members or people that don't want you to change because there's a certain level of certainty that they have with your current identity which goes away the moment you become a different person especially if it has happened multiple times before it's a huge stressor for especially family members for what I feel. What would you say are some of the ways to think about that? You know, one of my gifts of trauma is my mm-hmm. adaptation is to prove someone wrong. Mm-hmm. So that did carry over in a beautiful way in this process to say, well, they'll have to see. Mm-hmm. I'll show them. But I, this time I wasn't doing it out of retribution or, you know, spite. Mm-hmm. It was just part of it was also having compassion for them. And really seeing that, like, say for my parents, when I first told them that I was working with psychedelics after what had happened to me at 17, of course they're terrified. And when I recognized their reactivity was their fear because of their love for me, I also had to draw boundaries with that, which was the toughest part, actually. And so it took another layer of compassion work for me to recognize, of course, they don't understand. It's been very different for a long time. But there was something, and because I got out on my own so young, I grew up very quickly and I was always dedicated to how do I communicate it so that I can be understood. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that dedication to communication was a huge asset for me and one that I continue to do. And so if you're still in that development process, having community, people that have your back, I call it a life team, whether it's a therapist or a coach or a family member to help remind you who you are, to help you, you know, walk through that tough conversation. And part of it is nervous system regulation, being able to be with uncomfortable emotions for yourself first. A lot of people are trying to rush the process okay, I'm different and I expect everyone else to honor my truth. And now you are wanting everyone else to immediately change with you, which is control. And so part of the practice of this work is how do I come back to center with compassion that the environment takes time? Just like if a bone breaks or something happens in my body, whether I want it to heal right now or whether I put a cast on right away for support, It is healing. And so what do I need in my environment to fortify my healing in this process? What would my cast look like to protect this very vulnerable state? Because it's new. So it's easy to get knocked off of your trajectory. And that goes back to the support system. And that might be a community, that might be going to community circles, that might be hiring a coach. And so if you don't have someone you can really lean on to keep you on track, that's the beauty of paying someone to keep you on track and remind you, it still is frustrating sometimes. And even being in the psychedelic work, of course, I immediately wanted all my family and friends to improve their life and it'll change right away. It's not for everyone in that way. And so part of it was then the practice of patience, that that's right, now I've had the realization But the actualization, that is the practice. And so it's what do I need until I feel solid with that. It's the same reason someone has a spotter at the gym. As you go heavier weight, it's a muscle. But as you continue to lift heavier weight, you get a spotter. So get a spotter in this process. It's when we're alone that we go, see, no one understands me. It still takes radical self-responsibility to find people that do. Absolutely. And and I want to relate back to that experience because early on in my career, I chose the path less traveled. 
not because of a breakthrough moment where was I went to a personal growth seminar or anything like that, but because I had a teacher that said a word to me that really, really showed me that I had more to offer to the world than the regular expectations. I was in an all-boys school and pretty much everybody was training to be either a doctor, engineer, or an accountant. That was basically the three professions everybody mm-hmm. was chasing. I was expected to do the same. I was an above-average student, not the most brilliant, neither I was below average. I was average and a little bit over, depending on the subject we are talking about. And what had happened was, as I was going along in training to be an engineer or studying so I could do the tests and so forth, one of my teachers one day saw me do the morning news. We used to have news done by kids. I don't know if that's a culture here in America, but it's definitely in India, where somebody would do the Hindi news and the English news and some updates or whatever the thing is, is all done by students. So I was doing the morning news one of the days, and my vice principal at the time says, that was very, very good, very good. So I was like, oh, great, thank you. And I didn't think anything of it until I got a message in my classroom one of the days uh, where I was called into the vice principal's office and I thought I was in trouble because I was like, why do you get called into a vice principal's yeah. office? You're in trouble, you've done something wrong. And so I was like, oh damn, I don't know, are my parents there waiting for me? I mean, what the hell's happening? So I go into the office and she remembers my name, which was already a surprise for me at the time because it was just like a regular kid. And she goes, Ajit, that was fantastic what you did the other day. I was so proud of you when you were doing the morning news for us. I really think you should consider becoming a news anchor. And I was like, what? <laughs> she knows I'm in science. Like I do chemistry, math, physics. We're the nerds. I was in computers, just like the most difficult combination you could take because I wanted to be a computer engineer or that was the projected desire at the time in India is become a computer engineer. And I was like, I'm the nerd. Like I'm not supposed to do anything like that. And she's like, no, you were really, really good. You should totally consider it. I know people who are news anchors. If you would want to talk to them to kind of consider that as a profession, you let me know. And in that moment, I was like, holy shit, there are other options uh, (laughs) in life. And uh, that got me to then make a slow but very significant transition for everybody around me. Because again, everybody else was training to be something in that range. And the ones who were not were considered the black sheep. I wasn't the black sheep. I was a sheep where they were like, oh, this kid's going to be the way out of our, again, very average family reality. And one day I write a letter to my father saying, I don't want to be an engineer. I didn't have the guts to really tell him. Uh, So I wrote a letter to him and it's fortunate that he was like, okay, fine. What do you want to be? I was like, I don't know. I was like, oh, that's really bad. (laughs) I was going to say, oh, you took it next level. (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't know is a very difficult answer. So he said, okay, so here's what I can do. I'm going to fight for you with your mother and everybody else. So I was thank you for the support that I had in him. And what I can get you is three years. You will still have to educate yourself. You have to go to college. Like I can't get you out of that. You have to go to college. You have to get some base level degree, something that you can do in your time, like, you know, limited amount of time. And within that period, figure out what you need to do. Because beyond that, I don't have the money to fund your business. I don't have money to do any of that stuff. I will fund your college. I'll do everything I can to get you to finish your education. But post that, you're on your own. Like after that, I don't know how to help you more than that. Like that's it, right? And that kind of put me in this realm of needing that support, but not really knowing how to. So those... 
five years or so were a struggle. I graduated. I was fortunate that I got some leadership positions in a student body. So I got some traction in the world. And so I got a really good job straight off my college. Like somebody was like, if you're from that organization, you're leading the organization, we got you. We'll hire you. And I got successful in that career really quickly. But pretty much every couple of years, I kept quitting whatever I was doing because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I wasn't passionate enough for any of the things that I was doing. So I was constantly this oddball that keeps changing. So my friends would quit on me. My parents always thought, what the heck is wrong with them? <laughs> and in India, we have large families. They would always wonder as to what the hell is this kid doing, right? And until recently, I feel like I've been integrating for like 15 years of my mm-hmm. life. <laughs> and that's really the point I was trying to get to is that integration sometimes, depending on where you are, like I was also at a place where I didn't understand anything, mm-hmm. right? And so I had one support person, like one person said, hey, listen, I'm going to support you. I'm going to fight for you, with you, with everybody for these many years. By that time, you figured <laughs> it out because I don't know how to fight for you after that. I can't have you just be like, chilling out post-college. Like, I don't know what to do with you then. So I gratefully had somebody by my side. But even after that, because of my career transformations all the time, I found integration was always a problem. Like, I married an Italian woman for a hot minute, and that was kind of weird for everyone. So what I'm really saying here is integration sometimes, because of discovery of life, to me or for me, is being a long journey. And I feel like only now, maybe in the last three or four years, is when my family, like even my mother, sometimes still goes, what do you do? <laughs> like we have no idea. We see what you're doing in the sense of you have a family, beautiful kids, you're living in a great house, you travel the world. But what do you do? Why are people paying you money? Mm-hmm. Like what is it that you do? So you sit and you tell people what they should be doing? I was like, no, not really. <laughs> but... That's the closest you can get to it. But integration can be hard, can mm-hmm. be really, really long. But you do integration in a particular way that, of course, expedites this process because you have, of course, studied or done deep research on this. You know, part of it is research. First, it was not really understanding that the gift of a lot of what happened to me was I had to look at things differently. And especially when my health crashed at 26, I'd watched my family's health have problems and, you know, replacing knees and hips and all that. And so I saw that the way that they handled it didn't seem to work because they were needing replacements and all this. So it was like, okay, well, that way doesn't work. And it was more like process of elimination of looking around and saying, well, I can see everything that's not working. And part of that came because of traumatic circumstances. I became hyper aware of my environment all of the time. And that allowed me to start to see what not to do, what was dangerous, what was whatever, that in creating my life around that way, then I started to be surrounded by coaches or people that would be able to see there was a framework to it. There was very much a system to it. Mm -hmm. It was just my system. So I would say it was natural, but I'd say it was conditioned because of environment and circumstance. And then my thoughts around my situations and circumstances. And so what that allowed me to do was to then start to hire people to be able to see me and reflect back to me what those systems were. And so once I was able to see wow, there's actually really something to this integration thing because the migraines that I was getting always seemed to happen around like big deadlines or things where there was a lot of pressure, where I was spinning around in my head, but they would almost get me out of it and buy me more time to complete something because if it's a bad enough migraine, I'm down for three days. Mm -hmm. And so I started to see these interesting patterns when I started to body map. 
and I had so many medical conditions, it was like, how come when I go work with a particular, say, psychedelic medicine or situation, that pain is gone, and then I would notice in emotional environments, it would get worse. So then I started to notice these trends. So then I created a framework to track it. Mm-hmm. Then I started to notice, wow, what I don't track, I can't change. So step one for self-awareness is I need to start to figure out what would I track. Mm-hmm. And since I had physical health things, that was the easiest thing to track. So then it's like, what's my work stress, my emotional stress, my physical stress, relationship stress. And I developed this little scoring system because when I first got into what we'll call self-work or growth, I was just trying to get it to suck less. Mm -hmm. I would never imagined, I wasn't like, I'm going to have a vibrant, thriving life. I had been survival for so long. I just wanted it to suck enough to go enjoy family and friends and live my life, which was if, you know, from zero to 10, I felt like if I could live at a six, that would be happy for me, that I'd be content with that. The thing was, as I developed this process, a moment happened that I went under that five threshold, which meant (laughs) there was less suck than more. And that's when all of a sudden I became a little obsessed with it because it was like, if that's possible, if now more of my day is pain-free than in pain, what if? That's where that bridge to curiosity came in. What if pain-free is possible? That's when I recognized what I thought up to my life at that point was an eight out of 10. If I could get my pain to a six, I could have an eight out of 10 life for me. But when that went under that five in the threshold and I really started to dedicating, understanding all the food I was putting in my body, the movement practices, getting into really solid kinesiology and getting my body rehabbed in the ways it never had been for injuries and why I was in a lot of pain, dysfunctions, imbalances, I needed to fix. I had to get those in alignment. So my integration had to be, all right, so I need to go to physical therapy and chiropractic and get these into alignment to integrate my body back into an optimal position. So as I started to track those things, then I was like, oh my gosh, I now see the potential. Now I'm living my life a three, four. The life I thought that could be an eight was really my life at a two. And that was when... As people started to see my transformation coming off all medications, not having laparoscopies for endometriosis or, you know, all of these reproductive issues I had had, people couldn't ignore it. They saw I looked different, but more importantly, my body was functioning and I was a light in my eyes that had never been there before. Nothing blocks purpose like pain. And so as I started to tap into that, then I was like, okay, there was actually a part of me that couldn't process my emotions and that's what the physical pain was. It was a way to not feel my feelings because Mm. physical pain was enough of a distraction to not acknowledge the amount of hurt I was in emotionally. And my body got patterned that way. So as I got more into this integration and this tracking system, it just kept evolving over time. And then people said, well, I want to do that. And I'd explain it to them and they'd be like, I just wish it was in like a book or -hmm. something. So then I made a workbook and Mm -hmm. printed it at Kinko's and started just like sending people PDFs. And as that grew and evolved, it used to be like more of that suck less scale. Uh, That's why I love your wife's book. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. like, that did suck now what? You know what I mean? Like I so resonate with that. And so through this process, The scales I was first following was, all right, how bad is it? But then I had to change the book 
to how good is it and how do I quantify that? And so as that evolved, as people gave feedback, oh, what if it had this? What if it had this? It went through like probably 14 iterations up to this point. Now it's something on Amazon that if you want to integrate something, there's a journaling workbook. Mm -hmm. And for me, like you mentioned, the gifts you have to the world and the podcast and how you can help people grow in those ways. I thought if there was one thing I could leave on this planet when I wasn't in it was the practices that saved my life. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of whether someone could ever afford to work with me or, or afford a coach ever. Mm-hmm. If they knew how to translate their body's language, then every decision they made after that, they could do it from a sense of truth and a sense of grounded awareness, which would then allow them to get more tools or resources or support. And it's one of those, sometimes you don't know that you're creating it. You're just, I don't know, just that point that I wasn't a survivor anymore then that was the only time I could actually see outside of just trying to make it to 40 was my thing back then. At 26, I couldn't stand or walk for longer than three hours. I sat down at Disneyland and cried and thought, how could I ever have kids or live a life? And now I just turned 40 and I'm still doing power jumps and you know workouts and stuff that doctors told me I'd never be able to do. Mm-hmm. So now I don't really believe what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think, the right way to live life. <laughs> Curious question, because you mentioned that there's a workbook on Amazon. What's it called? So people can go ahead and get one. Mm-hmm. It's called the Condor Approach. The Condor Approach. Okay. Yes. So the Condor is, an, it's like the eagle is of North America. That's what the Condor is for South America. A lot of my teachers are in South America. Mm-hmm. That taught me around tradition is beautiful and we want to honor it, but we can't adhere to it too tightly without it being a prison. And that Mm. resonated for me. And for me, the condor, it's a vulture. And so it's a part of dead and dying systems. So it's those systems within ourselves, constructs, ideas, old traditions that for someone coming from, you know, any part of India to the States, some parts of that cultural constructs won't work here. Mm. So then what does that mean coming to integrate it here for you as a person, your family, all of it? And so the condor approach is really that evolution of the dead and dying systems. It's taking that bird's eye view. They fly at 14,000, 18,000 feet. They go very high. And they're the messengers of heaven to earth. So for me, they're the nature's cleanup crew and the ones that still come to the earth to be a part of the cleanup. Unlike other birds of prey that grab their food and fly away, the condor lands on the ground and stays there to be part of the transmutation, the evolution, the breakdown of what is dead. And so it's not trying to get rid of it. It's actually helping it to become a part of the environment in a new nutrient-dense way. Beautiful. So the condor approach gives a deeper dive of your integration approach. Yes. For the sake of the podcast, if you were to kind of give a bird's eye view of what this approach is, I kind of got the first part, but yep. let's if you were to go whatever is possible in a concise way, five steps, 10 steps, whatever the number of steps are, mm-hmm. what would you suggest somebody who's trying to integrate themselves after their big breakthrough if they were doing one of our programs or doing a program or an event somewhere and they're like, damn, I am a different person, but how do I integrate this? What do you recommend? Step one is body mapping, as simple as it sounds. If you wake up in the morning and ask yourself, am I rested? Do I feel more tired than yesterday, less tired? Because sleep is a big indicator of what's going on, right? If you're having a lot of stomach issues. So I basically break it down that understanding your body's language means if you just wake up every day and scan your body, 
and mark what part of the body feels affected or impacted and then do that throughout the day. I call it the three Ps, pause and pull back. If I wanna react, where do I feel that? If I feel it around my chest, then that's around the heart. So is there things that I'm not feeling connected to or I'm defending or is something emotionally connected? If you'll consider what is the function of the area of the body being impacted? Stomach, is there anything I'm struggling to digest or I'm over digesting? If I'm getting headaches, am I overthinking? Is there just a lot of energy up in that area? You just start to see really interesting trends. And for me, the body doesn't lie and it's process oriented. So mm -hmm. if you go have a big mind realization or spiritual realization, the body takes time to catch up to it. So just by tracking your body and the physical function, if I have a problem with my foot or I fall or I sprain my ankle and it's, let's say my right foot, is there anything I'm hesitant to step into? Mm -hmm. And I just figuratively play with that curiosity. That will inform more than you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. So that's step one, body that's mapping. step one. Mm -hmm. Then? So then I like to say reflective end of day. What am I celebrating? What would I like to do different? Mm -hmm. I removed better. Better is relative. Better for who and what. So at the end of the day, a check-in, and this is what most people don't do, Ajit. Most people will do the morning, mm -hmm. but they don't reflect on, did I follow through with what I said I would do for me? Mm -hmm. And is there anything that I'm celebrating? And is there anything I would like to do differently tomorrow if it came to me again? Maybe how I handled the kids or how I handled a situation at work. And so if I'd say body mapping, end of day reflection, and then through integration, it's I'm doing a daily intention setting. What is one thing today that I want to know, that I want to do, that I want to embody, or that I want to understand just one? Mm -hmm. I think that people... I'm going to change everything, but that's not possible. And so it's like, if I just break it down to what we call the four ins, here's our little breakdown of numbers, intake, intention, in-space, integration. I first do an intake, where am I this morning? Then I go into my intention. What do I want to know, do, be, or understand? I go into the space of the day or the transformational experience. And then out of it, what do I need to know, do, be, or understand from the data from today? Mm -hmm. What would I like to change? What am I celebrating? Just that awareness every single day changes your life. Mm. If you just show up for yourself one day at a time, forget the five-year plan. Mm -hmm. If you make 1%, one degree adjustment every day for a year, that's a 365 degree difference. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Life-changing. Beautiful. Are these the steps? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just, just to make sure that circle is complete. Where does the integration of people around you happen? It depends. If you have parents that have very deep conditionings, you might have to start to introduce concepts to help teach them a little bit where you want them to go. It's people's impatience that will often cause more collateral damage and more walls. So I look at it like, how quickly can you be good at holding space for someone else to be in their feelings without you shutting down? That is what will determine how quickly you do it. So I just had a realization, I'm working too many hours at work and it's degrading my health. I need to make an immediate change. So the integration would be, what do I expect? What do I anticipate they're going to say? What needs to change and by when? And then once I have that information, then I might talk to a coach or talk to a therapist or talk to a friend of how can I communicate this? So many people operate from this is an emergency or shame. 
those two things will close off whoever's receiving your information mm. because their body feels panic or if they feel shamed <laughs> that they're not doing something right by you or for you, they can't hear you. So it's how influential can you be with delivering your message? How quickly can you do that? With some people, you're gonna have to finesse it a little bit more. I take immediate action. I find that when I sit and stew about it, I make it more complicated or more complex so that I need to finesse it more than I really do. Mm -hmm. So for me, I go for, I'm gonna do the best that I can with the tools I have right now. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't go well, I will, you know, maybe I won't say that I'm sorry. I might apologize for how it might've come out, but I'm not one to wait because I can't control everything and I don't want to control or take away someone's opportunity to feel the way that they feel. Mm -hmm. So I'm more of a, well, I think this is the best that I can do right now. Like this is the most effective and mm -hmm. be prepared that it might not go as smoothly as I hope and make adjustments. Okay. And let's say if they're not parents, because you do a lot of work with integration yes. post-psychedelic experiences, yes. right? So leaning into that a little bit. Say it's a husband-wife, the wife goes uh, to you know a place to go have an ayahuasca journey, she comes back, or the husband goes and has an ayahuasca journey, has a new revelation of purpose, meaning in life, has a new direction to approach, and of course, it was just one of the two that went. The other one is not involved. They knew why the person went, but they don't know the person that came back. Yeah. How would that integration look like? So one of the most common things is what you just said. When one partner goes and the other doesn't, it's either going to get them closer or push them further away. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that going into it's really important, just like a weight loss journey. If one person goes on the weight loss journey or the fitness journey and the other doesn't come, they either will fall back into the old ways to stay with the partner or the partnership breaks up. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is you have to get radically honest with yourself. Do you really know what you're stepping into? Because honestly, I don't know that it is functional for everyone to go do transformational work if they're not prepared for what the outcome could be. And so for integration purposes, like as a integration coach will say, my conversation with the wife is, so what's gonna change when you get home? As a coach, I'm actually there to help mediate and support that conversation because what happens often is the wife comes back different or the husband or the partner comes back different. On an unconscious level, the partner that was left behind is afraid of being left behind mm -hmm. because the person that comes back, all of a sudden, there brings some instability. Mm -hmm. Whether it was dysfunctional or functional or not so relevant, that difference in energy can be destabilizing for the relationship because there's the partnership, but then there's the entity of the relationship that has now become just destabilized. And so how to go home and inform is the integration of it. Maybe the person's coming home very tired and kind of contracted and needs to process. For a partner, if the wife, for example, comes home and she's quiet and introverted, the husband could internalize, she's going to leave me. She had a big realization she doesn't want to be here, kicks up his fear, that changes how he treats her. That could actually cause harm. If someone's fresh off of an experience, so they're in a very, what we call neuroplastic state, very vulnerable state. And so just by knowing that, then from an integration standpoint, I can say to the wife, so 
you're in a very vulnerable state from what you're saying in this position. So how do we inform your husband so that he doesn't internalize that he's done something wrong or that you are contracted for reasons he doesn't know? That's where that transparency comes in. And not that someone still won't have fears, but when there's honesty and transparency, they know, oh, no, no, they said that this was, she just needed space this week because she's processing a lot then that gives him permission to not have to fix, change, or be afraid. So the integration is the what happens when you get home and you're in this very vulnerable state. I think that it would be beneficial for us to have a conversation with your husband that you're processing things. You don't have to share everything yet if you're not ready, but just so that he knows it's not him. Maybe mm -hmm. she had a big trauma come up, something she's processing, or her job, or maybe she's a new mother and she's trying to reconcile lose the loss of her old identity and it has nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. Being able to inform that is what brings stability back to the relationship for it to heal. It's like that cast on the arm that's healing. It's been reset, but it's gonna need more support. And then she could feel more nurtured and supported going back home to say to the husband, hey, um, I'm coming back and I really need to be able to process this week. Can you handle the house? Can you take some of these responsibilities on so that I can fully process versus how come he doesn't see that I'm vulnerable? And then she isolates. And that isolation can then drive a wedge between the couple versus just like radical consent, radical transparency. Like how can we inform as much as possible? That's integration. You're going back from this environment into that environment. You know that environment. So what will we need to know to ensure your safety in this healing process or if she comes back awakened and alive and renewed and he's not in a good place, that can be scary too. Mm -hmm. And so for me, from a integration perspective as a coach, I also, if I have a person, wanna make sure their whole environment is being cared for, not just them. And so it's having the foresight to kind of see the whole architecture of their life, not just this one dynamic. And I feel that that's one of the biggest things that is lacking in the psychedelic movement is that there's a lot of expansion and not a lot of clarity or architecture of how do we, in their home environment, create some stability after a very destabilizing event. Cole, this is a phenomenal conversation. Fun. Again, I feel like your workbook is a great place to kind of get to know more about the work, which is the Condor approach. Mm -hmm. What else would be some of the great next steps for individuals that are curious about integration, post-psychedelic experiences, post-growth experiences, post-event experiences, many events in our life that require integration, what would be some of the ways that they connect with you or get to know more about your approach? Mm -hmm. We have tons of resources, right? So if you go to condor.coach, we have free programs about body mapping, taking it deeper. When you get the workbook, it has a whole course. So for $12, you get the book and you get the course because again, if you can trust yourself, you can choose the right coaches for you or the correct ones to get you where you wanna go. Or if you decide to go down to the jungles or to Costa Rica to work with a shaman or a cuadindero, you'll be able to trust yourself to do so. And so there's tons of resources there. We're always posting on Instagram at the Condor Approach. For me, it's informing. Only through information can people be making consensual choices for themselves and for their families. Because again, a lot of times we go in thinking this is going to be great and don't understand the collateral effect of us growing. And so our expansion can cause contractions in others around us. And just by knowing it, we can approach it in a way that we can't ever eliminate harm, but we could certainly bring a lot more safety and connection and fulfillment. Beautiful. 
Well, thank you very much, Cole. Thank you for sharing all this insight with us. Is there a website or Instagram where people can connect with you? Would you share that? Yep. The Condor Approach across the board will pretty much get you anywhere. So there's thecondorapproach.com. There's the Condor Approach on Instagram. There's blow and, a smoke signal, send a carrier pigeon. You'll find <laughs> and condor.coach as well. Yes. Right. So that would be the place to go. Yes. Cole, thank you very much, Cole. It was great talking to you. Pleasure.